The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to another episode of The Bright Side. I'm really excited because this week we're beginning a new segment at the start of the show where I'm going to be sharing things with you that brought me joy this week, as well as a few personal highlights from my life because as much as I love interviewing every guest that comes on my show, I also really want to be able to share some of the things that are happening in my life and connect a little bit more with all of you as listeners. So I'm going to be sharing things that have brought me joy this week, and I would love if you all have a moment to just DM me at Caitlin, which is at K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-N on Instagram or at The Bright Side Podcast with anything that's been bringing you joy. So to begin, one of my favorite food-related discoveries of this year has been Coco June's Coconut yogurt and coconut yogurt for whatever reason seem to take a little while for people to master but now there are a few really good brands that have popped up lately and my personal favorite is coco june they've got a flavor of vanilla chamomile and it's my favorite thing to snack on at the moment also casey musgraves and troy savon released a song called easy this week and i personally love and feel very uplifted when i can dance and One of my favorite kind of secret (laughs) indulgences, I guess, when I'm at home is just dancing around the house by myself, listening to music on full blast. I'm sure my neighbors love it. But I hadn't really been doing that lately, and I'm not sure why. And actually, I'd sort of started to be a little bit worried about myself. Why am I not dancing as often as I used to? And then this song came out. It's called Easy. And I was really inspired to dance. So I've been listening to that on repeat. Next, my boyfriend actually was in the grocery store the other night and I was waiting for him out in the car and he came out with a little bunch of garden roses from the market and they've been sitting in my living room and they've lasted a really long time. And those have made me really happy every time I've looked at them. I always forget or underestimate the power of having fresh flowers in your home, but it makes a huge difference, at least for me. Another moment of joy for me this week was decorating the Christmas tree at my boyfriend's house with his son and him. And I did the lights myself this year and I've never done lights on the tree before and they actually came out pretty good. So I was really proud of myself. I rewatched the movie Role Models and was dying laughing the entire time. Worth a revisit for sure. And last but not least, I've received a lot of positive feedback from all of you on the podcast and It's just been really uplifting and it warms my heart to hear how many of you have been touched by the show or feel that it in some way has inspired you to feel more positive while you're listening because that's obviously the point of the show, but also it means a lot to me that the people are getting something out of it because that's what I set out to do. And I just love to hear that people are feeling happy, especially during this crazy time. On a personal story note, I'm really grateful because my entire family on the East Coast got sick with COVID over Thanksgiving, and fortunately, they all had very mild cases, and they've recovered. I'm very grateful for that, and I certainly don't take it for granted that they had a relatively mild experience compared to what a lot of other people are going through right now. So super happy that they've all gotten past it and everybody's doing well. and. 
A couple of days ago, uh, the publicist for the American Wild Horse campaign who I work with reached out and asked if I would be willing to go on my friend Becca Tilly's podcast, Scrubbing In, to discuss the American Wild Horse campaign. And they later asked if, rather than just coming on as a guest, if I was free to co-host an episode with Becca because her, her co-host has to be out of town. So I'm really excited that in a couple of weeks I'm going to be doing that because that podcast is amazing and I love Becca to death. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming soon. And I'm also just about to start reading Cassie David's book, No One Asked for This. And you know what? I bought a few copies to give people as gifts for the holidays because she is absolutely hilarious. And I just, I don't know, there's just something about how sarcastic and sort of dry she is, but very witty that I'm really looking forward to. And I've only read the introduction to the book so far and already I can tell it's going to be amazing. So if anybody's looking, if you know, if you have any friends or relatives who are readers or just like funny people, Cassie's book is called No One Asked for This, and I will be reporting back because I'm going to start reading it tomorrow. All right, now on to this week's guest. I actually had a lot of requests to have this guest on the show, and I'm really excited because I was on his podcast not too long ago, and I felt we had a very easy, natural rapport when I was on his show. And so Nick Vile is here today, and it's kind of funny because Nick and I do not know each other super well, but in the brief time that we have known each other, I feel like we sort of have a funny, very comfortable banter. And I don't know why this is the case either, but I feel really comfortable giving him some shit here and there. And um, we've got very similar outlooks. And I think one of the things that was important to me in having Nick on the show this time was I wanted to ask him questions and kind of dig into who the Nick behind the bachelor and even his current shows is, you know, I think that he puts a lot out there about himself, but I wanted to know, you know, is this the real Nick and what was Nick like pre television? And I don't know, just dig a little deeper because I think that it often takes us going on to another show and being asked real kind of harder hitting questions, I guess, if you will, even though they're by no means super serious. We had a lot of fun. But, you know, just to have somebody kind of dig that information out of you. So I'm really excited because I think this episode, you'll get to see another side of Nick. And yeah, so I hope you enjoy. Welcome to today's episode of The Bright Side. My guest today is TV personality, acclaimed dating advice guru and host of People's Choice nominated The Vile Files, Nick Vile. Am I saying that right? Yeah, by all. Okay, by all. It's it's you know it's you know I hate it as much as anyone tries. I to have say to it. say, I saw the episode that you recorded with your ex fiance, I believe, where she went to uh, say your name yeah. and she didn't even know how no, to pronounce it's, it. Pretty yeah, good. It's a it's a, a life burden. <laughs> and then and then I was dumb enough to like you know what it's hard for people to say. Let's put in the title of my podcast. Yeah, which, right. <laughs> I, well, I guess by the the title, The Vile Files, you would think that it does rhyme with file, correct? Kind of, yeah. It was actually Topher Grace's idea. Really? My acting coach is good friends with Topher and his wife, Ashley, who was my first guest on my podcast. Mm. And uh, him and Ashley, I was like, what do I call it? And I think Topher had the idea. I was like, you know what? That sounds cool. Fuck it. Let's go for it. And then- how yeah. interesting. People I love a name dropper. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wanted you to have you on today, though, because you're someone who I feel like has been through 
so much in the public eye very personally. And from at least my observation, you seem to always come out the other side in a really good place and you seem to handle things really gracefully. And you've just had a lot of success as a public figure and a TV personality. So I thought it'd be really interesting to have you on and ask you some questions. I mean, that's... That's as positive of a spin as I heard about my time in the public life. I'll take it. It's great. Really? Do you feel like normally it's a little more negative? No, I, I'm i my own worst enemy. And by that, do you mean that you are hard on yourself or? Yeah, I, I am. Like I, I really lean into criticism. It's something I'm working on with my therapist. Is that a, is that a bit of attack? Okay, I was going to say, is that a defense mechanism? Yeah, well, I feel I would rather think everyone hates me and be wrong about that than think everyone loves me and be wrong about that. That's Does very... that make sense? It feels like a safer place. No, that's actually very interesting. It would be like, it's like if I can prepare myself for the worst, it's probably not a very healthy thing. But then like, if I don't, the idea of being like, yeah, I'm the greatest and everyone loves me. And then to find out someone's talk, like would just be like so... I guess that's a really good point. It's kind of funny you say that because the inspiration for this show actually came from the fact that I think pretty much the opposite way of that. Okay. I tend to always kind of look at things, not that I think I'm so great and I don't, I don't mean it that way, but that I tend to always expect things to go really well and expect the best of everything. And I guess that in a way, when things don't go well, I have the problem that you're describing, which is I've anticipated things going well. And then when they don't, it's a letdown. I, I think there's pros and cons to both. I've listened to your podcast and I found it to be rather uplifting in a way. It it was good for someone like myself to listen to Mm. where it's like, you don't always have to look at all the obstacles and and look at all the potential roadblocks of life. It seems to be that you can just, you know, relax and enjoy things as they come. It seems to me that there are two different types of people though. And I think that in some way it is good. And I've actually tried to absorb some of what you're saying, which Mm -hmm. is to be a little bit more realistic about what's going on and be prepared for there to be more negativity. Although I do think it's either way, it's a form of a defense mechanism. Yeah. Right. I I think, yes. If you break it down, it's something how we just kind of manage our, our, our mental health, but yeah. And you mentioned you work with the therapist. Is that something that has always been the case? No, it's something I've done. I've always uh, been an advocate for therapy. For me personally, it's something I've dived into a little bit more recently. And it was not necessarily for any specific reason. It was more around, I've talked about it a lot. I've advocated for it a lot. I bet I could benefit from it. Yeah. Okay. So you would advocate for it before you were necessarily yeah, actually I mean, doing like, it yourself. I've I've had like uh, when Vanessa and I were trying to make our relationship work post show, we sought out couples therapy. It mm-hmm. was it's so I've done therapy in various forms, but not ongoing as much as I've done in the past year. Yeah, and it wasn't like oh I, I hit rock you know bottom I need to go. It was just more like I should do this. Mm. I should try it out. Uh, I personally, great. I think that no matter where you are in your life, therapy is always very helpful. I've yeah. had moments. Well, yeah. I mean, I think even if your life's going great, there's always something that's going on in your life that's worth talking about. And when you talk about it with friends and family, you you always get an opinion, right? Or at least the majority of the time, people have some sort of bias towards whatever it is that you're referring to. And when you speak with a therapist, you know, you're you're really just getting to 
vent without judgment. And I think for me, in my own experience with therapy, I would never cry about anything in my real life when I was speaking with friends or family. And I would know going into my therapy sessions that every time I would sort of dread them in a way because I knew that my therapist would make me cry every time. She would always find something to bring up. Yeah, that would trigger something. And so for me, it was always such a release. I wouldn't even know that I was feeling sad about something. You know, like you said, you don't necessarily feel that you need it or you've hit rock bottom. But for me, at least my therapist always found some way to get me to cry. Wow. That doesn't uh, happen for you? I have not cried, no. I always, <laughs> I'm way too analytical for my own good. But it, I will say, it's, it's, you're right about therapy. What I found the benefit of it is that it's great to have friends to talk to, great to have family to talk to. You're paying this person. So they just have to, like, you don't, doesn't matter if they're bored or whatever. It's their job to be there. And you're right. Like there is patient confidently. Not that I've like, I've never, I haven't confessed to anything I, to my therapist, but like, I don't have to worry about like, uh, you know, sometimes you bend a friend's ear and it's just like, it's maybe it's a heavy conversation and you want to like talk about something else. Like you, sometimes your friends don't need to hear all your baggage or your family or the things that you're venting about because family and friends have have a way of sometimes bringing that up at their convenience in the future about a vulnerability you had and they're not even trying to do it to be dicks or god forbid you vent yeah. about a person in your life yeah. and then they hold it against yeah, them you remember that one time where i was there for you and it's just like you know what i don't want to hear that right now and like with a therapist you're like take my money let me talk to you and right. and then be done in an hour right or in a relationship experience you tell your your in my case it would be my mom I would tell her something negative and then for the rest of time she hates the person that I was talking about yeah. and she'll never forgive them. So you can't, yeah. you just can't go there. I don't know though. I do. I will also say I've had an experience with a therapist where they were completely ineffective and they were asking me things that I wasn't even remotely. It just wasn't connecting with me emotionally. So I felt like I was paying this person. As you said, you're paying them so much money to just sit there and listen. So I think if you get the wrong therapist, you can end up just paying somebody for nothing. I think we forget that there's some jobs, some some professions we'd like weirdly give a pass to mm-hmm. and just assume like if you're a doctor, you're going to be a great a doctor. doctor. If you're a mechanic, you know, you're going to be a great, like, nah, mm-hmm. some people are really like, and that goes for everyone. So yeah, you can definitely fire a therapist and, you, and they cannot. maybe they're just, maybe there's not a personality fit. I think. Well, you want to know what happened in the case with mine? Not, not that you're asking, but I'm going to tell you. Yeah, no, please. Um, this was years ago, but I would go to my therapist and she would ask about my boyfriend at the time's family all the time. And they were all famous. And she always wanted to know what the juice was on his family. Oh. And I did not give a shit about talking about his family. I had no emotional issues related to That's his family whatsoever. Weird. And she would always want to know about what was going on and try to make that be my problem. And every time I'm like, no, I, I really just, that's, that's his stuff. You know what I mean? Oh I don't my, even. It's so obvious. Too. Yeah. And so I just had to figure out a way to stop seeing her, you Gross. know, but then having from there, I ended up finding this amazing therapist, the one who makes me cry every time. And that's when I knew that she was good because I figured if she was getting an emotional response from me, every time we met, that was the person that I should be going to. That's great. So yeah, I have yet to cry. And not that everyone should have to cry, but I mean, are you a crier? It's weird that you ask. It's funny because if you watch The Bachelor, uh, you would think that I am. I certainly cl- cried. I did watch your season. I cried plenty of times, whether on my season of The Bachelor and, and certainly on, on other times. 
some of the crying was, you know, it was, I wasn't going to be able to help because it was just like an emotional moment. And I was able to like kind of give into the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a skill to be able to do that on TV, by the way. I've always been good at just accepting my surroundings and then going for whatever it is I was going for. And in that world, going for it implies that you're going to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. In life, I, I don't cry in situations much. And even in breakups and relationships or when things end, I've gotten really good at just managing my feelings and processing loss of, of that. I, I get choked up with movies, like moments get me. Mm. Like I don't sob, but like I get choked up a lot watching TV in court, like sometimes commercials okay, or moments like Instagram. Made like, you cry? The first thing that came, comes to mind is Love on the Spectrum. Did you uh, watch that? Yes, that when, was really When the young lady, uh, she was bisexual, went on a date mm. with a, a woman and she was just like giddy after that. Like a ha happy moments get me, mm -hmm. like I, happy moments. Get get me emotional when I yeah. watch them. That's really sweet. I get choked up. Yeah. I don't like sobbing. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not like, overly <laughs> emotional. But I will say that in we've been filming the, the new season of The Hills. And at one point, I know one of the producers had asked one of my castmates to describe me as, a, as an ice queen because I would never get overly emotional on camera. And I actually feel very in the moment when I'm filming and I, like you, feel very comfortable at this point with cameras around. It wasn't always that way, but you get, once you've had a mic on you long enough and you're in front of the cameras long enough, you sort of forget that they're there. Yeah. But I still, and I guess this maybe just is how I am in general, but I, I don't know. I can never get relaxed enough to the point that I can cry. In, or in your relationships? On camera. On camera. Yeah. Interesting. So I think that when I say I think it's a skill to be able to cry on camera, I just think it's a skill to be able to be that in tune with yourself and relax enough to be able have to Have you ever had your heart crushed on camera? No. Okay. Might, maybe. I guess that is, a, yeah, I guess that is a little bit of a different scenario. Uh, you uh, had your heart crushed? In the moment, for sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. In the moment. It's different. It's not like a, a seven year relationship that ended. Right. But it, yeah, in the moment, for sure. And I've also been able to cry on that show when the stakes weren't less as high, but I was like, you know what? I feel like crying. Fuck it. I'll go for it. <laughs> you know, or where you like, you, you know, like you're, you're in a movie. It's one of those things. I think it is a skill where every time I get choked up, even if I'm by myself or if I'm like watching it with someone, like you fight the tears. Right. I think as guys, you you do it maybe. I don't know if, if women do, but I think as a guy, I know I do. Maybe I won't even speak for men or women. I'll speak for myself. I try to hold the tears back. You get choked up, you feel it. And instead of saying, I'm just gonna let myself cry, you kind of, I don't know, you tense up and try to fight that feeling. Yeah. See, I think I do that anyway in general, whether yeah. it's movies or not. Yeah, I just never want to. And that's why I would dread those therapy sessions because I knew I wasn't going to be able to fight it. I will say in relationships, I'm often, and it's probably a problem I should work on, but I'm, I'm often told that I don't show a ton of emotion and I'm a little too um, even keel. We talked about this a little bit when yeah. I was on your show. Yeah. Whether you're actually just too closed off to relationships or you've kind of shut yourself off emotionally because you've had a lot of these experiences. I Well, I think it's a, I think in some points a fair criticism. And I think in other points, I think I just have learned not to overreact to things that I've realized aren't like a big deal. And we'll just let's just talk and get through it. And we don't have to necessarily get mad to show that we care or, or sad or happy. We can just, you know, 
Yeah. Fine. Well, I mean, I do think there's a lot to be said for experience because I think having been through, you know, more challenging relationships, you, you do start to realize what's, what's actually a big deal and kind of figure out what battles to, to pick. Yeah. Like, for example, to your point, uh, like when you're younger, the thought of getting broke up with is unbelievable. The thought of being cheated on is unbelievable to you. The thought of getting having engaged and not working out is unbelievable. The thought of getting divorced is unbelievable. And then it ha- all those things, some of them, all, some of all of them, or some of them happen to us and we survive. Mm-hmm. And then we're just like, oh, we'll live. And then smaller things happen and you just like, okay, you just deal with it. Yeah, it just rolls off your back then. Some of us, some of us don't. Right, that's true. But I do think, I think that's actually a very good point because I actually feel a little bit like that about marriage at this point, kind of having, having been married and then, and it didn't work out. I think my perspective of marriage then was very much that, you know, it was, it was the next step and it was something that I always really wanted and Mm. I needed to do it. And now I look at it so differently. It's so much less of a priority. And I mean, I think that there's, I think marriage is a wonderful thing for people who, who are all about it and who have successful marriages, beautiful and great, but it's just so much less of a priority having been through it and kind of understanding what it's really about. And I think that's to your point, exactly the case. Once you live, once you survive it or you have that experience and and understand it better, you have a very different perspective of what it means. Totally. I I haven't been divorced, but I have had engagements that work out. And I don't know if that's a result, but I will say, I feel like we're the same. I guess I hope to get married. I'm not against marriage. Certainly not a priority in terms of like life goal, like, you know, I've always said, I want to be a father. That's a priority. And if it happens in a marriage, great. If a, the woman I'm in love with wants to get married, great. I'm not like resistant. Right. I don't personally care. I yeah. don't need it. No, I'm literally the exact same way at this point. Kids are far more the priority. I mean, that's an entirely different thing, yeah. having kids. But I think, yeah, exactly the same. And I never thought I would say something like that 15 years ago. Really? Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about that because I feel, you know, you you have your podcast. You talk about relationships all the time. Obviously, the world has seen you on The Bachelor and all those subsequent shows. Mm. So they all really know you in terms of your romantic life. But what was your life like leading up to being on reality TV? This is very normal. I was... Grew up in the Midwest, uh, come from a large family of 10 siblings. I was selling software. I worked in sales. Okay, I was interested in that. I mean, w- <laughs> I just think it's so interesting because you're really good at what you do. I think you're a really good podcast host and you're great on TV. You're very natural. And it seems almost like you were kind of meant to be working in this world. But was that ever something that you imagined would happen? It, well, it's, you know, it's, it's weird. So I recently had Doug Allen and Kevin Dillon on, right? And so the creators of- I love Kevin, by the way. He's, th- he's were a, such a great so guy. Gr- so yeah. great. And, and Doug was great and the creator of, of Entourage. And we were talking and it brought up this conversation that I had with my friends long ago in Milwaukee. And you know, it came up because we were talking about Entourage and the effect it had on culture and friends, guy friends, you know. And how when, when Entourage was at its height, you would talk about, you know, who were you in the group, if anyone, right? right. And there was this time where we were in Milwaukee and we were just all, me and my buddies were just having a few drinks. And my one buddy came up to me. He's like, you got to be our Vinny Chase, man. Right. You know, like, and I was like, <laughs> I cool. know he was going to say that. And there was always like a part of me when I would see stuff like, you know, I don't know about you. Like sometimes you feel like you're meant for, to do more. Not, and it sounds like, a that's even sounds cheesy when it comes out of your mouth, but like, I was always happy with what I did, but like when people asked, did you ever thought you'd do this? 
no, I never thought I would be doing this, but I do feel more at home doing what I'm doing now. And I don't find myself searching for more as much as I did when I was just selling software, which I also quite li liked and I liked sales. Does that answer your, your question? It fe I feel more at home and I feel, you know, it's funny because when I was a kid, my dream as a child was, be to, was to be a cartoonist for Disney. I was really artistic and, and I was also good at sports. And being a kid who, and kids can be rebellious, there was my, my art teacher in high school wanted me to quit sports to focus on art. And so I quit art. Uh, and, and I always kind of regretted that. But ever since coming out here, you know, you live in LA, you, you were, you know, when I was at Salesforce, I was surrounded by a really smart, technical, savvy business people. And so I got better at, at those things. When I'm in LA, I'm surrounded by a lot of creative, talented people. And being out here, it, it is really in a fun way got me back to those kind of creative, you know, muscles that I stopped exercising. That's been a lot of fun for me to do and be out here. And, and that is a, that's always made me feel more like what I should be doing, yeah. you know, whether I'm great at it or not. It's just something I like doing. Have where, you ever thought about pursuing that, those traditional forms of artwork ever again? I mean, is that uh, I something paint you, and, oh, you do? Yeah. I mean, I did my, I don't know. <laughs> I, I did like a, corny Bob Ross. I, I can paint Bob Ross paintings quite well. <laughs> so I did like shirtless Bob Ross videos. Oh my God. Um, just for fun. Why not? No, that's funny. Yeah. You know, so I like, and that. it's stupid, but like that no, even that creatively. So like, yeah, I still paint for fun, not like to the point where. I think also I can really, I can relate to what you're saying about feeling like you were sort of destined to do more in a way. It sounds really cheesy when I, I feel the same when I say it, but I also think that sort of the perception and even, you know, even a, I think with my friends was always that I like pursued being in LA and that I had this plan or some kind of scheme to get out here and do something and be and become more of a public figure. But I never, that was never in my mind. Yeah. But I do think that sometimes the things that we it, sort of in my gut, I felt this draw to LA and I felt that in a way I would sort of end up doing work more publicly, but I never had any intention or a real plan for that. It just, and I think that's, that's just what happens is like the things that are meant to happen. And I believe in manifestation too, is that they just yeah. sort of fall into place and without even necessarily making a plan, that's the way the universe works. Is it just, you know, over time. I, I, I totally agree. I'm a, I'm a big believer in manifesting things. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a big believer in being open to things, yeah. you know, being open to relationships, being open to a career change. You know, you, you don't know what's going to come your way, but if you're open, then when, when opportunities come, you'll be ready for it and prepared. And in the meantime, you're kind of exercising whatever skill set you knew to be ready for the opportunities and doors and windows that are open. And that's the same for me. It's just like, I always get sensitive and defensive sometimes, especially in the bachelor world, because people always talk about like, are you just here to be famous type of stuff? Well, that's a, that's like yeah. the most famous line in bachelor history, yeah, I think, like, is are you here for the right reasons? Yeah, the right reasons. Right. Which I think is more of a fair criticism now than it used to be back in the day because there wasn't the playbook that exists now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I went on the show. I went back to work the next day like after my first, like the next, which was too fast. Like you don't do that if you go on the season and you take second and you get dumped, like don't go back to work right away. You're a little, you need to decompress. Aww. I went back to work and I just, where I worked. Like, so I had like a small following. I didn't do anything with it. And then, you know, it was before, like, I just went back to work, you know, yeah. I was like, 
And then I ended up going back on because I actually liked it all. And that's the thing where it's just, I think I just, I was willing to say yes to opportunities and then take advice from people around me. And, and if it weren't for my people I worked for at Salesforce, I wouldn't be where I am now because I was fairly worried. I had a career that I quite liked and a job I valued. And the next time I went back on the show, they were again, super cool. And they just asked me to, to make them a promise that if I ever came back to work, that I was done with what they called the Hollywood thing. <laughs> and I was like, fair, you know, but so I kept, I kept being like, I'm ready to come back, man. Like, just tell me, to, just tell me to come back. I'll come back. And they were like, no, we'll like, we'll always take you back. Yeah. And so if at any point they were like, you know, as a lot of employers do, you hear be like, hey, listen, if you take this job seriously, be be to work on Monday right. or don't come back at all. So they encouraged you they, to. They did the opposite and it, it worked out and they, they gave, and I owe them a lot for that just because I don't know if I would have had the, the courage to, to take that risk. I always felt like I had the safety net. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting. And I, I actually sort of felt the same with the job I had prior to moving out to LA. I worked for the CEO of a big finance company. And so I had, in a sense, a strong resume from that specific job. So I always sort of felt the same thing. Like I had this something to, not again, that it would be falling back on it necessarily because I loved that job. Same same thing. I felt very proud of it. I felt I was learning all the time and growing there, but they were the same way. Very, you know, like you've always got a place if you need it, that kind of thing. Yeah. I always like, it's funny because when it, when I get asked about that, I always kind of get in this kind of very reflective where it's just like, fuck, my life could have been so different so easily. Isn't that wild? Like where just by like other, yeah, the butterfly effect and things like that really it gets pretty pretty trippy when you think about yeah, it. So I'm very one grateful. One different for the, decision, yeah. and you'd be in such a different such a different place. place right um, now. But yeah. Well, speaking, we were talking about your friends before when you were talking about how you guys used to pretend you were entourage. <laughs> yeah, which I feel like <laughs> what, a lot of guys did. I'm sure. Well, I mean, that was the show back in yeah. the day. Fairness, it was great. I actually, one of my close girlfriends was in the entourage movie when it came out okay. and she yeah she's gonna come on the podcast soon but i remember i mean when we i went to the premiere of that movie she was in it and it was a huge deal at the time oh, so for sure. no, yeah. you're, you're not alone but what are your friendships like now versus how they were back then did you kind of bring all those friends along with you and no um you know i I got into this chapter in my life part of the reason why i ended up moving to chicago and la is because when I lived in Milwaukee, I was, you know, like 28, 29 and me and my closest friends, and which was a great period, period of my life. It's probably it, like, we all had girlfriends and all our girlfriends were friends. We'd all just go out. We were all like in relationships with girls and, but also like no kids. And I broke up with my girlfriend. They all got engaged. And so it was kind of like, I need to get out of here. I mean, it does make a big difference when everybody's on those different paths. Yeah. For me, I feel like it's once my friends have kids. We sort of end up going different because your your whole schedule, just, everything changes. Yeah, and I always prided myself in being a really great third and fifth wheel. Like I've not, <laughs> you know, it was like I didn't want ever want to be that guy. And I've had friends where it's just like I didn't want to be the guy who's not comfortable with the choices he's made in relationships. It's like okay, fine, I'm single, but I still love these people, and you're in a relationship, and it's fine if I'm not bringing a girl or yeah. to like game night or right, whatever. You don't, like, you're I don't insecure want to about be it. The liabilities is like, oh, is he going to complain? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to show up and have fun with these people. And but eventually, I just was like, I need to 
move out. Now I'm still friends with all these people. They're still my closest friends and I still talk to them, but there's a value in making people sometimes stop making new friends in life. And I think that's a mistake people make, you know, like you can still make friends in your thirties. You can make friends in Have you find that easy though out here? It's hard. No, I think it's harder when you're an adult to make friends in any place, just because I'm sure we all remember the times on the playground as kids where you literally were like, do you want to be friends? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. And it was like a totally normal thing to say. And now you feel very vulnerable to even suggest that you're looking for friendships as an adult. And so that can be hard. And sometimes it happens organically and, and sometimes not, but it's harder. Yeah. But is Bachelor Nation, because I mean, that's a thing, or at least in terms of how the public views it, Bachelor Nation's a thing. Are you guys all, I mean, is that a thing or is that a real friendship circle or is that more of a publicity be. thing? It's both, right? I equate it to work, right? Uh, if you work in any kind of corporate America setting, um, there's people you like, there's people that you might even become best friends with. There's right. some people you can't stand, mm-hmm. right? Uh, from a social media standpoint, in terms of what's visible to the public, you know, Bachelor you Nation seems to enjoy us hanging out. Yeah. more than they seem to and us to hang out with people back from home. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that like, I don't post my friends back at home because like no one wants to see that. And my friends don't need me to like showcase them on my Instagram right. to validate our <laughs> friendship. But like, yeah. you know, if I'm hanging out with uh, a friend and it's just like, yeah, let's, let's let the world work. Fine. You know, but I have developed true friendships from people on that show who are as close as friends that I have in my life and, and and it's been from the show. And anytime you have a very unique experience that very few people can relate to, you're it's a bonding thing. Yeah. You know, and sure. so that that brings people together. You're a first-time homeowner. I am. What challenges are you discovering <laughs> as a first-time homeowner? When did you buy your place? I moved in September 15th. So I got an accepted offer like or mid-August. I got to say, I think I've been lucky where it's been a relatively painless process. I had decided in early 2020 that I wanted to buy a house. And like, it was a long process. There was no huge like, oh, what the fuck moments and this is terrible. Okay, well, Uh, that's... But I I mean, I had a small problem when I first moved in. It was uh, annoying. I had a spa problem and... A spa problem? Yeah, and it was annoying because I bought, I did all the, yeah, my, they, I bought a, a spa and I bought a, a place with a pool and a hot tub. Okay. And it's all combined. But okay. like, I don't, for all the homeowners out there, I, you know, you do an inspection and I spent like, I, I didn't want to cut any corners. You know, my, my realtor, I was like, get all the inspectors, you know, do it right. I don't, like, I'll pay a little bit more maybe on inspectors to avoid any bigger Problems cost on the on line. Own. Right. No. It, Very practical. That, that didn't work out as well as I hoped, but I essentially bought a, a hot tub and a spa that didn't have proper plumbing. And so they... Yeah, so that a, was your first big challenge. That was a big challenge and it was annoying, but thankfully I was in a position to still afford to fix it and, and just cut my losses. And, and We were, Sarni, the producer of the show, and I were talking about just prior to you arriving here today, our cherry on top complaints during COVID because, well, we don't really know what happened, but I had a suitcase full of all of my favorite clothing and shoes go missing this week. It either was taken from my car or it was taken at some point. And so I was telling her when I got here today, I was really bummed about that. I was just, you know, I've been in my head about it, thinking about how 
my favorite sweaters in there and three of my favorite pairs of shoes. And it sounds so silly because there are so many bigger problems in the world. But, you know, on top of everything that everyone's going through right now, we all still do have the day-to-day things that we're dealing with that are yeah. bugging us. And you kind of feel guilty to complain about something <laughs> like my suitcase of, you know, fancy clothes going missing or your or the spa not working. But we Here, do have those. Here's the thing about that is like it's one of the many things that the internet and social media is really fucked up. And we've done it to ourselves is because just we were just never in general supposed to have this much access to other people's opinions about the world or ourselves. We were never supposed to have this much access to share our opinions to like a large quantity of people, mm-hmm. right? Because you're right. People say things like first world problems, right? And right. They, they are. But right. sometimes as humans, we like to vent and be heard. And even if it is a first world problem, it did affect us. We might maybe an hour later or a day later have the perspective to say, you know what? I am still grateful for what I have in my life, right? Yes. So people just make the mistake of sometimes doing that on a public platform. Just stop doing that. Bitch to your friends, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a, actually a, a really good point. In a private way, be like, these I mean, fucking shoes, I just love them, you know? Like, no, I know. And I felt, and I think that's part of the problem is that I knew that no one's going to care about my suitcase. You know what I mean? It is. It's so dumb in the grand, yeah. grand scheme of things. And actually talking about it even now is making me feel better. But I was up all night last night thinking about each thing and how I'm going to miss it. And you know what? You have the right to do that. It doesn't make you like out of touch or ungrateful. I mean, I think we have to allow ourselves to like. In fact, I actually think that it's because we appreciate these things. That's what I'm trying to at least tell myself is that, you know, I, I felt like a lot of people. And I think because we're public figures, everyone assumes that we are making tons of money all the time and that we're we're very successful. I mean, I can't speak for you. But for me, you know, I still really rely on being paid to make my TV show yeah. or paid to, you know, whatever other projects I have going on. And so throughout quarantine, it's still been a concern. And as grateful as I am to, of course, have a roof over my head and for all the blessings in my life, it's, you know, there's still stress. And so the suitcase going missing, I'm just thinking, you know, this is something that I I've actually gone and, you know, chose to spend money on these things. And so it, it is as much as you feel dumb complaining about it, it's still something that, you know, and hey, I can't yeah. talk about it, right? You don't I have, have to, just to keep be it down to, to your last nickel to like be bummed about things that don't go your way, <laughs> right. you know, like, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So you're right. Like I, I'm also, I don't, I don't take anything for granted, which I'm grateful for. Right. At the same time, I do need to get much better. Something I am working on my, um, my, with my therapist about enjoying, enjoying what I do have because I'm constantly like, you know, things are fine now, but like it could all be over tomorrow. Right. You know, and I am a little I bit like definitely that too. don't take that for granted. I can't believe where I'm at right now. Like yeah. I, when I decided to move to LA, I didn't know the fuck I was doing. If someone would have laid out very honestly and practically like how this city worked, you know, <laughs> and like, and I didn't have people be like, go for it, whatever. I would have been like, no fucking way. That's impossible. That's just stupid. It was ignorance truly is bliss sometimes. Right? You know? I, I, I would say the same. I think that being very naive has helped me in a lot of ways. And now I think I'm less naive having been through some of the more challenging experiences that I've been through. But still, I do think you're right. Ignorance is bliss because you really kind of have this blind belief that everything's going to work out. And it's going to be fine. And you can make it if you want to. And, and realistically that, I mean, it's a lot of luck. 
Yeah. You know, well, being in the lot, right place at the right yes, time. It's a combination of things. Luck is a, a big thing. I've always been a big believer in betting on myself. Like with having all the information, it's just like, all right, if I bet on myself and it works out, what does that look like? Versus betting against myself and it not working out. And so as long as I'm in a safe position, like, but if you have too much information, I would have been like, no, too that's, just, that's too risky. But right. like having just enough information to say, well, okay, well, if this problem's in front of me and I just bet on myself on this problem, I'll worry about like the next steps later, but how do I solve this problem and then bet on myself again and bet on myself again and just be willing to, all right, I'm going to bet on myself. I have to do the work. Like that was just enough. Like I do just enough, but didn't know the whole scope because I think the whole scope would have, I would have gone right back to it. would have been overwhelming. Yeah. Speaking of that, what's a personal challenge that you've overcome that seemed like it was going to be a negative at the time, but ended up being a positive for you? I mean, going on the <laughs> Bachelor the first season. Were you not looking forward to that? Well, it was just, I was the villain of the season one kind of thing. And I didn't really know how to process that. and. I got lucky that, and it sounds cheesy, that I got lucky that I met Caitlin and had an authentic, like I just m liked her. Mm -hmm. And that was like, yeah, you know, people always joke about right reasons. And I right. always say like, I've been on the show four times and there's all four times my reason for going on the show were different. Okay. And Caitlin's was the only time I went for the girl because I knew the girl. Like anyone who goes on now and, and back in the day, you go for the experience and open to the possibility. Mm -hmm. like, oh, it'd be insane to be like, I'm going for... Right. Whoever it is they say it's going to be the next leading you've never met. That's insane. Um, <laughs> oh, so you had, had you met her before? We had, t like, we were doing the FaceTime gotcha. thing every day, and it was like this kind of ah, coy love affair. I didn't know affair. that. Okay. Um, and so that was a reason to go back on, and it just gave me an opportunity to, you know, you've, you kind of opened the show by, like, saying how I've been able to work navigate. through adversity and navigate, and... I will say like, I think what has always been something I've been able to do, and I think part of it is just, I, I was lucky enough to go on this kind of crazy world in my early thirties. And I had, you know, 10 plus years of corporate America experience, which, which I think quite- really, And sales. Well, yeah, sales yeah. prepared me, um, used to rejection and from a sales standpoint, okay. and, and that really helped me. And, but it's really taught me to play the long game you know, in life, I think that's very important. And I say that as a person who's really not patient at all about little things that I want, but uh, there's a difference between knowing the value of playing the long game and being patient. It's just like what you want in the moment. You just got, you gotta, you gotta play, play chess, not, not checkers. checkers. I try to, you know, when people come to me from the show who are on the show and they always, people always ask for advice, especially they want to know like how to replicate the success I've had, you know, and that my first advice I always say is play the long game. Mm. I don't have you know, specifics on how they should play because I don't know them or what their goals are. But you need to play the long game. What, you, what is good for you in the moment may not be good for you in the future. That applies in all aspects of our life. It applies in relationships, careers, friendships. You just have to think about you might need to do that, maybe a favor for a friend. I think um, it's not disingenuous to say if I always like you know, with social media, you know, and, and supporting people. Like I'm a big believer if, if I have a friend who's doing something, it's very easy for me to support them, right? Swipe up or whatever. Yeah. If you can help someone 
in life, just do it and don't expect immediate return. You just don't know when you might be asking for a favor. And so I just kind of play that where, and then if I get mad, you know, and something that was really beneficial for me is, and when I got mad at someone, like if I was mad at the show or the Mm -hmm. producers or a fan or someone who criticized me on social media, I always tried to try not to get mad. I mean, I'm a sensitive guy and I'd get mad in the moment, but not act on it, not act on it and, and not decide that I hated that person for it. Mm-hmm. Understand why they might be doing it because that has allowed me to not decide that so many people were my enemy. Right. I'm supposed to hate this person because they snarked at me at one point only yeah. to like meet them. And then when you aren't mad at someone for and they kind of feel like oh, I should learn this for I said some bad things, you know, whatever that has allowed me to make more allies rather than enemies. And I think that has served me well in this world by just you know, letting it roll off and, and showing people who I felt like who I was and not who I was sh- being shown to be. Right. Well, I think, and also when people are saying something negative, it's probably that they don't actually have that much personal experience with you and just yeah. sort of let them actually get to know you. Not, yeah, right. Not take it personally because they're not actually reflecting on you as a real person. Totally. Do you feel, because I think you're, you at, at least come across as very authentic through both the TV shows and your podcast. Do you think that the Nick that the world sees is the Nick behind closed doors? For the most part, yeah. It's interesting because I'm often like asked about the show and, and depending on who you ask, some people will accuse me of, of defending the show too much. Some people will say I'm too hard on the show or whatever. And it's funny because you know people ask about villains and, and how things are shown. And certainly editing happens. I get frustrated at the show, but they do try to show what happens. Things, things that made me the villain hmm. are parts of who I am, mm-hmm. right? Usually those parts come without a soundtrack in life, you know, and the soundtrack will affect right. it. But like, can I be petty? Can I be immature? Uh, can I be sensitive? Can I be frustrated? Can I be all? Yeah. I mean, that's what makes me a human. So I think everything that you have seen on me on, on the show is, that's me how you interpret it as a viewer, that's up to you. I can't... Uh, well, I think in a lot of ways, what's... what's uh, I mean, at least from my own perspective, what has made you successful is that authenticity. Because I think that you're human at the end of the day and everybody has so many different sides to them. And I think that if you're not afraid to show those parts of you, then everyone's going to see the other parts of you as well. And that's just a realistic person. There's not yeah. one person out there who's just perfect, happy, nice to everybody all the time. I mean, at least very few people. And so I think that even if in the moment on a show, maybe they decide to edit you to be a certain way and you're more the villain, when you continue to be yourself and be authentic over time, that's when you gain fans and and people who really appreciate you for all of that. Yeah, you said it in a more succinct way than I did. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And I think some people on, you know, let's just say the Bachelor franchise or reality TV, yeah, you're you're always afraid of being not liked or disliked. And if you are inauthentic to who you are, you can only cheat it for so long before you find yourself in a compromising position where you just have to be yourself and then you will then surprise people and good or bad, people will just see it as disingenuous. Mm -hmm. But to your point, if you just are who you are, eventually people will get to know the whole scope of you. And that's just always who I've been, even in life. I I think back of what people think of me publicly. And quite frankly, it's not too much different than what people have thought about me my whole life. Mm-hmm. And now some of times it's like, I've often, often felt like even before being a public figure that if I didn't let you into my like circle, 
mm-hmm. people might have various opinions about me because I'm always just going to be who I am. Sometimes I wish I could not just be myself in certain situations and, and fake it a little bit better. Yeah. You know, but it's that's, so funny. Everything you know. you're saying is exactly how I feel that I am. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes it would actually serve you better to be able to be yeah, it's less like, real. Could I have been less real there? Right. Did I really yeah. need to keep it real in that moment? Or yeah. could I just have smiled For more once. and just said hi and yeah. been a little bit more pleasant? I know. I'm in the, exactly the same way. I like to ask, I have a playlist for this show of songs that are uplifting so that anyone who's listening can just subscribe to the playlist. And I ask each of my guests if they have a song that always makes them feel happy. Why didn't you prepare me? I mean, I don't know. Anything, you can be anything current or whatever that you just throw on in the morning that makes you feel happy. This is a little cheesy and I haven't listened in a while, but I do think Call Me Maybe is a fantastic song. Okay. I like that. I'm, no, it's good because I get such diverse answers on this on this question because some people give me Broadway hits that they love. Some people give me their childhood favorites. Some people give me their current. So it's good to have a whole range. There are two different types of people in this world. People who love the song Call Me Baby and people who pretend to hate it. <laughs> You like you ever like been at a bar <laughs> yes. like before before COVID, and there'd always be like this guy be like, "Call me, maybe come on." Be like, oh, I fucking hate this song. And like three minutes later, his hips are moving. You know? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> so I like, don't would, fight it, man. I Just would have you know, to agree with you. Yeah, like, exactly. You can't not feel good about that song. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for being here today. This was really fun. It was great to talk to you. Um, Thanks for having where, me. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you? Well, this is a podcast, so I guess I'll plug the podcast first. Uh, I have a podcast called The Vile Files. It's on all um, podcast platforms. We also record them on video, so you can watch it on YouTube. And then Nick Vile on Instagram, and and then my Twitter is Vile Nicholas Twenty Eight, which is whoa. <laughs> it was my it was my AOL Instagram handle. And I can then, relate to that. And then when Twitter came out, I was like, well, that I'll just keep that. And that was <laughs> and long before. Like, and then I just had it and now I'm stuck with it. You know? Vile Nicholas 28. Okay, it's, everybody find him there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. 